Glad to have you here on the block, ESPN Radio. Maybe you're just hopping on board, and if that is the case, well, boy, you picked a great time to do it. It's uh, always a pleasure to welcome our next guest on the program. He is the athletic director at Syracuse University, John Wildhack, back here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, and we have lots to discuss with him Syracuse athletics-wise, but John, I've got to circle back on something. Now, did you hire Tim Tebow when you were at ESPN? Um, I did, Brent, yeah. So, listen, I mean, he's a name, he's a brand. What did you see in Tim, though, that he could do the broadcasting thing? Because uh, he certainly crossed over to that world and, and is doing well at it. He's just, you know, Tim's just, he's, he's a really impressive guy. And he's, and he's incredibly... He's an incredibly generous and good person, and everything that you read about Tim, I mean, Tim is as genuine and as good as they come. And, you know, we, we really hired Tim when we were getting ready to launch the SEC Network, and we thought Tim's affiliation with the SEC Network, obviously given his playing days at Florida, would be, you know, a great marketing coup for the, uh, for the network when we launched it. And also, you know, provided Tim a platform to uh, start his broadcasting career. And obviously, you know, he did. Uh, he's done fantastic work for uh, for ESPN. And now he's going to host a uh, anchor to reality show that uh, LeBron James and his company's producing. And he's here playing baseball in Syracuse, New York. Absolutely. And if I was a betting man, I'd, I'd say the New York Mets uh, will be putting a uniform on Tim Tebow at some point. It's going to be. Fascinating to see that play out uh, over a media day today. Considerable a number of cameras and microphones and media types than usual over at the ballpark today. He is It's amazing, you know, the, the vast audiences that he draws from, not just uh, from the sports world. I mean, he's a genuine star, and it transcends sports to your, to your point. John, uh, lots to discuss with you on, on the Syracuse front. I want to start here. Uh, we saw today... Uh, from a basketball standpoint, record revenue brought in by Syracuse uh, near $32 million. And people hear that and they say, oh, boy, they're just stuffing that in all their pockets and counting their money. But can you, as best as you can, explain, okay, that revenue comes in. How is it then distributed back through the university? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a really incredibly complex formula, um, incredibly complex. And... You know, it's it's you know it's a federal requirement in terms of you know what, what we file on an annual basis, and you know I think you know obviously you know, what, what you know basketball and, and football, you know the revenue we generate really fuels every other sport, um, and I think that's the one thing that you know when people see and they see it, you know they see a number, and again that you know that number is it's it, the way that the that number is equated is is incredibly complex. Um, but those two sports, football and men's basketball, really support, you know, every not only all our other sports, but everything that goes with that. So, you know, whether it's our athletic training staff or their academic supports team, et cetera, that type of thing. So, you know, it's actually it's an interesting business model. You can have 19 sports and, you know, two of them, you know, two of them really are, are the ones that are the, are the source of the revenue to uh, the drive the, uh, the fielding of the other 17 teams. When you see that, and you were only second to Louisville, another ACC team, and you know there's a number of teams in this league that are near the top of this list, what's your reaction to that? Is there a sense of pride there? Does that tell you we're doing our job? When you see that, uh, what, what's kind of what? What are you thinking when that becomes public and people know uh, that information? Well, I, th- I think again, I think it's you know we were we were really pleased that we uh, led the country in attendance you know this year that we took that crown back from Kentucky. 
if we have success from a revenue standpoint, you know, that, um, you know, our thanks goes to our fans and our fan base for their support um, of our program. It underscores, you know, the job um, that Coach Beheim and his staff and the team, you know, has done. But, again, I really the, – the, the complexity of that number, I really don't spend a lot of time, you know, looking at it because it, it really doesn't, you know it, – it, it, it really isn't practical in terms of how it impacts how we operate here. You know, we, you know, we, we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're self-sustaining. We're, you know, break-even operation, and um, you know, we work really hard to achieve that. John, on the men's basketball front, you know, things fell a little short of expectation, uh, losing in the first round of Baylor in the tournament, and then of course you you look ahead to next year, you start turning the page and figuring out who's going to be here, who's not. I think we pretty much anticipated Tyus Battle was was going to. He's close to finishing his degree and wants to pursue a professional basketball career. He made that official, and O'Shea Brissett has sent out some feelers that at least he's going to go through the process. And that's what I want to ask about: is the process is different for those that haven't really followed up on this? That used to be if you hire an agent, you're done. But that's that's no longer the case. What what can you what, what light can you shed on what O'Shea has ahead of him? And what Tyus says ahead of him in terms of the the process of going testing the waters, as we like to say. Yeah, they're a little bit different because Tyus has declared, so he's you know he's made made it clear his intent is to begin his professional career. And I met him for about a half hour on Friday, and um, you know in my two and a half years here, you know he's as impressive as, as any student athlete we have. He is wise and mature, well beyond his years, as you said. You're very close to graduating in three years. For O'Shea, you can declare for the draft, and as long as you don't hire an agent, you know, if you're invited to pre-draft camp workouts, you know, you can go, you can go to those workouts, and you can get evaluation, and you can get feedback from NBA scouts, from NBA GMs, and I think it's, I think that's a really good rule to allow kids to go get direct feedback, not indirect, but direct feedback from NBA teams. And then they have the opportunity, as long as they don't hire an agent, all right, if you know, if you don't hear what you want, you can come back and you go to school. And that's what Tyus did last year. Those are players moving on, players that are coming back. Tiana Mangakaihi, I made it official yesterday that she'll return. And she's in a pretty interesting position, John. As you know, she's a little older than you know your average student athlete. She's going to be 24 later this month. And had she chosen to go pro, she would have been picked in the WNBA, and her impact would have been felt even in a short period of time here. But she says, no, there is unfinished business here at Syracuse. Yeah, I think you know Tiana and I. I saw her the day after we lost to South Dakota State, and then I saw her yesterday for a little bit. <clears throat> she really enjoys being here. I think she, you know, has a sense of you know what this team, what they accomplished this year, which they should be proud of. You know, in, in the toughest conference in the country. Um, you know, losing the second round, obviously, it's all you know. It's it's the finality when when your season ends is always tough, but. It was a better, you know, it was, it was clearly a better season than last year. I think with what we have returning, I think Tiana sees, you know, the optimism and the potential for next year. And obviously, you know, we're delighted that she's coming back. John Wildhack is our guest. He is the athletic director at Syracuse University. And John, I want to circle back to something you and I have discussed a few times while we're on the subject of women's basketball. 
Anything on the women's retirement jersey front? Any progress on that? Any more internal discussions on that? Are we are we closer today than the last time we talked about this? Where are we at with this? We still we've got uh, we've got a committee that we've uh, that we've appointed, um, and it's led by Sue Edson, our chief communications officer. And there's nobody better to do that. Um, and I think it'll be really something that we'll we'll dig into in the summer once uh, once we get past commencement in the competitive season. Uh, but it's it's something that you know we we are committed that that we want to look at this, do our due diligence, but we should recognize, um, and in time we will recognize uh, the pillars of that program. That's great to hear, and you know basketball is a great starting off point, but uh, certainly some other sports I know will be uh, put into consideration for that. Somebody actually brought it up to me during the break here. Maybe, you know, when Tiana is done, you could just hand her her jersey and retire it when she's all said and done. Because uh, by the time, look at the numbers she's already put up, and then next year she's only going to pile on to that. Her name's going to be, her name will be frequently entered in the record book when she's done here, right? No question. I can certainly uh, imagine that, that's for sure. Uh, John, uh, lacrosse, I have a question for you on, on that front. What we saw was a team go outside play Duke at CNS High School because of a conflict with women's basketball. And I said, well, maybe they should just do that a couple times a year. I know the weather is very tricky around here to do it. So two-part question here. One is, will there be consideration to do that just as an event? And two, maybe, and we talked to John Desco about this, John, and he said that he thinks they may have to do that anyway when the renovations happen at the Carrier Dome. So, is it a consideration to do just something for fun, or may you have to play some games outside because of the upcoming renovations? Yeah, as we look towards um, 2020, Brent, you know, really beginning March 1 of 2020, we'll, athletics will vacate the dome um, so that we can you know, begin the heavy lift on the roof project. So that would necessitate um, you know, both programs looking to play some games uh, outdoors next year. What do you think of, of lacrosse looking at both men's and women's this season so far? There's a game against Hobart tonight, of course, which you can hear over on TK99. And, you know, <laughs> they played a lot of close games this year. And the women's team is, is number three in the country. So uh, where would you put that in terms of the normal expectations on lacrosse and where they have met those so far through the season? Well, I think, you know, the women's prayer, they're doing fantastic, and they're ranked number three in both polls, and they've had, you know, played a very, very competitive schedule, had a great win at Duke um, on Saturday, winning 15-14. to 14. They beat Florida on the road. They've won some really tough road games, and I think Gary's quotes and comments, you know, after Saturday's games, were, you know, was really, really good. I mean, this, this team, you know, the culture of this team, and they're, you know, they're learning how to win and win close games, and you're going to need that if you're going to win a championship. I think for the men, it's, you know, we've got we've to come out and, you know, we've got to play better. We've got to start games better. That's been our Achilles heel all year. Um, and when, when, you're, when you're down on the road 11-2 to 2 with Notre Dame, and then you come back and it's, you, know, you score seven unanswered. So the ability's there. Um, now we just got to harness that ability, that focus, that commitment for a full 60 minutes. And if this team can do that, then they can play with any in the country. Spring football Saturday coming up next Saturday the 13th. We're going to have the big Q&A with Floyd Little, Larry Zonka, Tom Coughlin, Dan Conley, Art Jones, James Mungro, Eric Dungy is going to be part of that as well. They're going to sign autographs. There's going to be so many things happening ahead of that spring game. 
So that's something coming up that people should know about. And as you put out this week, but in case people didn't see, nearly 4,000 new season tickets sold for football already. The renewal rates are at 90%. You know, the effect of last season is certainly carrying over into the upcoming 2019 season, it seems. It really is, Brendan. We're over 4,000 now. And, um, you know, and the good news is, you know, business continues to be strong. And I think, um, you know, I think there's, there's obviously – you know, palpable excitement about uh, you know about the team and Coach Babers, and as we look to the 2019 season, so we're thrilled and we're very thankful for our 4,000 new season ticket holders and our 90% renewal rate, which is also fantastic. And you know, I think spring football on, on April 13th, we really want it to be a fun day for the fans, and we've got you know a youth clinic that starts uh, at 9 a.m. that Art Jones and James Munger are going to host. Um, we've got the Q's fan zone outside the dome um, from 11 to 1, obviously, to have Coach Coughlin, to have Larry, to have Floyd back is terrific. Um, after the scrimmage, uh, the team coaches will be around to, to sign autographs for our fans. So we really want to make this a day to celebrate Syracuse football. And for those who are still considering purchasing 2019 season tickets, um, we're going to have a select the seat from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. all day at the dome. John, there's uh, two student-athletes I wanted to ask you about that, em- emphasizing the word student. All right, I'm going to give this a shot. Let's see if I can get this. Santita Ibagawase. Did I get Close. it? Close. Close? I just, oh. I just referred to her as Santita. That's, she's awesome. I wanted to give it a shot, though. So she's really excelling on that front. And uh, volleyball is more, honestly, we don't talk about often, but had a great season. And Hendrick Hilbert as well, uh, really exceeding on the on the uh, student athlete part, emphasizing the student. Absolutely, in both. I mean, Hendrick is Hendrick is a senior. Uh, grew up in a dairy farm in Germany. He's the first person in his family, Brett, to go to college anywhere. He's got a four zero, four years. Incredible. Four zero Whitman, dual major. Unbelievable. Santita is pre-med. I think she's a, you know, three nine three, and and they're both, you know, they've won a number of accolades, uh, postseason scholarships via the ACC, NCA, which they richly deserve, and I think there'll be more uh, acknowledgement of their academic careers forthcoming. John, uh, we had a caller who actually wanted me to pass along this question, and certainly this gets into Title IX in, in a number of complicated layers, but sometimes a simple question brings the best answer. And their question was, uh, are you any closer considering to having men's college hockey here at Syracuse? Certainly the women's team had a great run to the NCAA tournament, their first ever, and ran into a pretty good team there in Wisconsin. But, you know, adding men's sports is always something that seems to be discussed, but uh, certainly... Uh, it is a complicated process at this point. It is, and we're not in any conversation or discussion to add men's hockey, Brent, and I, I get asked that relatively frequently. You know, the most important thing is to resource you know, our sports now and resource them to be competitive. You know, as you referenced, uh, you know, Title IX, we've got to make sure that we're uh, in accordance with Title IX. If, you know, and if you add a men's sport, then correspondingly, you're going to have to add uh, women's sports as well. So, that's not something that's, uh, that's being discussed. And finally, John, a sad note to close on. Uh, we learned that uh, Dean Branham passed away, and uh, we knew that uh, she had been fighting cancer, but you just you wanted to believe she would come out of that. And, you know, for those that are not familiar, uh, Dean Branham was the dean of the Newhouse School, 
and certainly the influence of the Newhouse School speaks for itself in the broadcasting community. But as best as you could see, John, as somebody who knew Dean Brandon before you came to Syracuse, certainly as an alum and somebody at ESPN and then working with her here, as best as you can, what, what kind of impact did she make on Syracuse University? Dean Branham's impact is is immense, um, and what she did with Newhouse, and it's you know it's really it's it's hard when you take over a school that's already the best in the country and make it even better. Um, but she did that, uh, you know, whether it's through Newhouse Three, whether it's through Dick Clark Studios, whether it's redesigning the curriculum, and Dean Branham always did it with the student in mind and how to prepare our students to be ready and to be successful uh, to enter in the communications field upon graduation. And um, I knew Dean Branham before I came here through my association with Newhouse. Um, Just a wonderful, wonderful person, incredibly smart, committed to the university, committed to our students. It's uh, It's a really, really sad day for our university, for our Newhouse students, our Newhouse alums. And uh, we, we send our, you know, we send our prayers to uh, uh, to Dean Branham's family. Absolutely, and everybody that that knew and loved her. And as you know, John, that is a, a very long list. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. As always, we'll catch up down the road. But uh, thank you for coming on today, John. Thank you, Brett. My pleasure. It's John Wildhack. He's the athletic director at Syracuse University. And just to add to that, I never had the opportunity to meet Dean Branham, uh, but her influence. What she did at Newhouse speaks for itself, and that's something I started teaching at Newhouse last fall. And even as somebody who's just kind of, I'm a five-week adjunct professor, I kind of come in and out, you know, deal with some people, you know, uh, through emails and things of that nature. I'm not immersed in there every day. But even in just my kind of parachute-in, parachute-out way, the impact that she had on Newhouse is immense. Ed Levine, who, of course, is is our our Galaxy uh, Communications Media CEO, uh, was close with Dean Branham, worked with her, knew her well, and there is a lot of people out there today that uh, are are having a tough day because we lost Dean Branham today. So we're thinking of all of you today, certainly, as mentioned, a very long list of people that knew and loved her.